welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women in history. I'm Jupiter F. Stone. I'm Sarah Gorski. <laughs> I floored you bitches. Yes. I know it was like. Chloe and I just had like a face off on <laughs> Skype. We were like, who's going to go first? You or me? And I didn't know. Anyway. <laughs> Chloe. <clears throat> And I'm Chloe Sky. I look, look, I've been on a kick. I've been on a kick, right? I have an amazing broad this week. Last, I think last time I was here, I talked about uh, a blues babe. And I have another one for you today, specifically for you, Sarah, because I remember you saying how much you dug the blues. So I thought I'd just come back uh-huh. and throw it down with a little. Oh my God, another blues broad? Yes, 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 yes. We got Ma Rainey today. That what? is my broad. I have brought the legend. Her forward. Yes, 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 yes. The legend known as Mother of the Blues. One of many nicknames. But like literally, mother like, have you heard blues. of blues? Cool. It's Mother This Lady, all right? Ma Rainey. She was a bad ass broad. And I came across her because I've been seeing the Netflix special on yes. have we seen have we seen this advertised on Netflix? Advertised absolutely. Yes. Have I watched? Not yet. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Right. I, I want to watch it. I I just am so, like, I am I know. I think Chloe and I talked about this another day that we're both, like, sad about Chadwick. Right. Yeah. And it's, yeah. like, and I'm told it's, like, his best performance, and so I'm, like, yeah. holding out. But I know I need to. It's, yeah. Because it's, I heard Viola Davis is just it's amazing. phenomenal. Okay. So to, to do a little bit, I won't do anything. I won't do any spoilers because you guys haven't, haven't, haven't seen it. You're just going to tell us her life story. I'm not going to say. I'm going to tell her. Well, the interesting <laughs> thing, the really interesting thing, and they kind of like made this a point like in the advertisements um, because before I watched it, I decided, okay, I'm going to watch this, but first I'm going to do the research. Like first I want to go and do my due diligence and find out who she mm. really is because I don't want to be, remember the Titans. I don't want to be remember the Titan. It's like a catchphrase that I'm using now uh-huh. where it's like, this is based on a true story. And it's like just mostly bullshit. And they just chose like one or two things and like fluffed it up. Um, oh, that's most stories. That's right. Most <laughs> right. That's Hollywood, you know. Right. But we all know that, right, listeners? Like we know most Hollywood versions of stories are probably 10% accurate. But see, listen to this, homies, because for real, because when I was watching Remember the Titans, I was like, yeah, slavery is over. Segregation happened. I was born at the right time. Hell yeah. Now here I am in 2021. Like, you lied to me, Disney. You lied. Remember the Titans. This is false advertisement. So yeah, I think it's like super important to note. So and that's specifically why I decided to do it this way, where I was like, I'm going to go get who she really was because I don't want that permanent image to be burned into my head of like this is who she was from the movie even though I heard that Viola Davis did an absolutely freaking amazing job and I'm like never let down by her um I also follow Viola Davis on um Instagram because she's very inspirational yes and she also gained like 50 pounds or something for the movie mm-hmm. like she had to work with a trainer and do all that st- and then she had to like of course lose the weight after the movie but because she looks even in the poster she looks so different yeah mm-hmm. absolutely it's so like well that i find it interesting that i haven't heard that because like when christian bale puts on 100 pounds for a role it's like all anyone talks about right viola davis gains 50 pounds for a role and yeah. i haven't heard a word well not only did she put on the weight she put on the weight and she had a specialty suit made for her to add on more weight so while she's performing she's wearing a bodysuit to like add it on because the real ma rainey was over 300 pounds whoa yeah 
And not only was she 300 pounds, but she was 300 pounds of, like, you gonna see me. Uh-huh. Like, she wore a signature headpiece. Yeah. She had sparkly, shimmery, danglies everywhere. She was on stage. People knew. And when she was on stage, she, the with the lights and everything on her and how, like, how it worked in, like, the areas they were at and in, it looked like she's, like, essentially had painted, like, grease onto her face. And so mm. that, like, comes through and you can actually, like, see it captured they did such yeah. a great job so so and her big booty is literally in the title of all the things about her oh ma rainey's <laughs> yes. black bottom yes it's about her belly. absolutely it is and that is such it's so interesting because it's such an integral part of the movie i will say i was like when i after i did my research i'm like cool i'm super stoked i'm really excited i thought it was gonna be like her like life story but i was very confused because it was like i also heard reviews that were like it takes place in one day. And so I'm like, how are you going to tell me all about her and then only do it in one day? And it's so interesting because it does take place in one day. But in that one day, I feel like you get to know, like you get the tone, you absorb it all. Um, and it's really intense. And the central part of that story is the the black bottom. And it, oh, it's the moments, the moments, the moments. So I think, good. Isn't it, is the movie, do you know Jupiter? I thought, I was under the impression that it was named, like that it was, that the screenplay is from the play. That it's an August Wilson play, right? I think it's the direct text of the play. Yeah, it and it's it's shot like it's like it it's it feels like theater. Absolutely. Yeah. The way that then it's it goes gotta be and, the play. Yeah, it is. And and Denzel Denzel Washington produced it. I watched like the after commentary and like the making of and things and it's so beautiful because everyone involved is so passionate about it, you know, and they definitely um, mentioned Chadwick, and it's, like, heart-wrenching. Um, but the thing about the movie that pisses me the f- off is it doesn't spend enough time with Ma. Like, it doesn't spend enough time with her. Like, I wanted her... I wanted all of this research that I found out to be in this movie, right? Because I want everyone to know all these, like, nooks and crannies about her. Um, and that was not the case. But what you did get to see was the representation of all that had happened to her, in that performance mm. she delivers to the day. And if you see her and receive her the way she is, I think it would be so important to go back and learn about her life to understand, like, how she got to that place and, like, why she is the way she is because she is the mother of the blues. Oh, my God. I cannot wait for you to tell me about her life. Let's go. Let's, Let's go. Do it. We're getting into <laughs> it. I'm so ready. Okay. I put my seatbelt on. So, <laughs> click, 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 click it up. All right. So, Ma Rainey was born in either April 1882 or... April 1886. And that's so interesting because I really dug because I thought, oh, maybe this is just like a bunk article. Like, I'll go dig deeper to find the truth. But the truth is, most every single place, they don't really actually know. Alas, she was born in 1882 or 1886, and she was born in either Georgia or Alabama, and she was the second of five children. She had two brothers, and she had a sister. But she was kind of, like, always, like, set apart from them. Like, it was kind of known, like, aesthetically and, like, looks-wise, she would sometimes get mixed up with her sister. But once she was about 12, between 12 and 14, she started singing. And it started Mm. off by singing in a local talent show in her hometown of Columbus, Georgia. 
And from this point on, no one really mistaked the two anymore because she had something about her. It was like this energy and it was infectious. And she wasn't like the other girls her age. Like she wasn't like prim and proper and she wasn't like super like careful about like her image or keeping things pressed and whatnot. And it's like, you know, it's like if you're going to like church and like African-American communities, you got to like look your Sunday best and, you know, make sure yeah, you're presenting your proper. And yeah. And she was like, she was like not so much like about all of that, um, but she loved performing and she loved singing. So she, after her talent show, she started singing at church. She was a member of the first African Baptist church and sang there. And then after that, she started singing at minstrel shows. And look, here's the tea. I, Jupiter Stone, born in Hawaii, I didn't, I didn't know what this was. So upon doing research for this, I had to go and find out, okay, well. You didn't know what minstrel shows were? No. I didn't know what minstrel shows were. Yeah. Oh, right. So exactly. Oh, I had to sit in that shit. So for this research, I had to do some deep racial healing. That's some heavy shit. Mm -hmm. That's some heavy shit to learn for the first time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So like, I wanted to like bring that up because I don't know. I mean, I mean, we have, we cannot assume that everyone knows what that is. It's like, that's why it's not cool for white people to do blackface. Right, right. But you hear that, right? You hear like, oh, so-and-so is doing yeah. blackface. And it's like, well, how detrimental is it? You know, this little kid is dressed up as a Native American and on Halloween. It's not that bad. But then when you look, go back into the history mm-hmm. and you see what it actually was, and and then even more so, like, like disheartening was it's like, yeah, okay. But I was like, wait, I'm fucking confused because if this is this type of performance, which is like detrimental, bad, dark, racist comedy against black people, usually performed by white people Mm -hmm. wearing black makeup, I was like horrified. I'm like, so you just had these tents out in the middle of the fields where a whole bunch of people would come to pay money to watch white people make fun of black people and perpetuate these myths. And it was heartbreaking. And then I was confused because I was like, okay, wait, then how did she get involved? Because she's really black. She's an actual um, black woman. So I realized, I found out that they were actual, like, like black people saw this and were like, okay, well, this is going to happen. So fuck them. We're going to capitalize on it and we're going to kind of make our own versions of that and we're going to host it and we're going to have a tent and we're going to put on our talent. We're going to tell our stories. And it still was, like, kind of problematic um, because of what they were playing off of and where they were pulling from. But her company... Yeah, but they made it their own, right? Yes. They, like, made it... So yes. They, so instead of making fun of black people, they were, like, embracing their own culture. Right. right? They, were, they were, like, kind of trying to take it back. Telling their story. So the Rabbit's Foot Company is the the one that she did and it was noted and credited as a minstrel and a variety troupe touring tent show so even in their like dialogue they like always said and variety troupe like we're going to show you a variety we're going to show you other things and this Mm. specific tent show which toured between the 1990 1990 holy shit between 1900 and the late 1950s they were actually responsible for being sort of the launching point for many black entertainers at the time being like someplace where they could go and get people from the south like people like black people to come in and see them and recognize them which was like really really huge at the time yeah probably it's like kind of the origins too of like blues music and like performance like black performance absolutely yes okay like that was like one of the first vehicles for it right yep perfect yep so we're getting into that so what happened was is they so before before she before she got into the the rabbit's foot company she got married 
And she and her husband started their own company, but it didn't really take off as well and didn't have as big of an audience. So they decided they were going to join up with the rabbit's foot. Um, but that's where mm. she got her her nickname because her husband was also a performer and he was known as Will Pa Rainey. So she was then known as Gertrude Ma Rainey and eventually the Gertrude like kicked off um, and they joined in. And what they were known as is when they joined this company was the Blackface Song and Dance Comedians, Jubilee Singers and Cakewalkers. So in like the advertisements and whatnot, they were like, this is what you are going to see. And everything was like, like really kind of like detrimental to them, even though they were like trying to claim a part of the space, they were still acknowledged. Like for instance, in 1910, after she had been doing this for a minute, she'd been doing it for like six years at this time, she was still being called a coon shouter, which is Mm. like, like, and this was like something that was like commonplace and like, like set. It was Miss Gertrude Rainey, our coon shouter. And so... I don't like that word in particular because I feel like it is associated with like negative things and <laughs> as a it's black racist. person it's racist, right? And I know sort of a little bit about yeah. it, but I've always like kind of like closed my ears to it. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go into it. Well, I decided to go into it today. So Wow. Coon songs was like literally considered a genre of music. And right. it stereotyped black people and people were listening to this as it's like far back into like eighteen forty eight. Like all the way back. It was like you're gonna make music, we're gonna make music about you, it's gonna be this. And so from eighteen forty eight, like all the way through, it's like nineteen ten and they're still like dealing with like the repercussions of this. So this is like the environment that she was in when she was trying to like perform. Like like everybody's like getting her down and like it was very difficult. And then in 1912, there was a guy named F. Scott, no, F. S. Wilcott, and he took over and then sort of like tried to do a little bit better. Like he tried to do a little, a little bit better. So he rebranded them. So instead of being like named and labeled, you know, as like black song singers, dancers, jubilee singers, you know, they were now known as Rainy and Rainy, the assassinators of the blues. Oh. Can I can I ask a question about yes. the whole thing you just went through? Does is do, what the people that named them like the I hate I hate that word too. The yeah. singers etc cetera, etc. Cetera, were was it like the white producers naming it that or was it the actual owners like were they black people calling themselves that? I guess. Right, right. Not that so, it makes a difference. It's still derogatory, but I'm just curious. Yeah, absolutely. So it's kind of weird because in this particular situation, it seems like it's like everyone was kind of just trying to like get theirs and maximize at, off of what was happening at the time because the original owner of Rabbit Foot's company was a black guy. He was a black dude named Pat Chappelle. And it's after, so this is when it was kind of like still new and very like, like still like in the tents and, you know, not a lot of marketing and like just getting like mm. grinding up, you know? So it's like, I don't know if it was actually, I feel like this was just like kind of the accepted dialogue because it's the only thing that they had to associate with this. Like it had been happening for so long and like these black people coming to take over were like taking over these roles and like taking over mm. and they were like merging and trying to like be powerful and it was like kind of racist. So I think it was like both sides. But Rabbit Foot was a black owned company. It was right? a black owned company. But then when okay. the owner died, it was taken over by a, a white businessman. 
And God damn it. The I white fucking knew it. <laughs> the other job of the white businessman. So not only does he now, this white businessman now own a predominantly like like black and like black focus for black audiences, taking black money, using mm-hmm. black pro- like audience like um actors to play racist black roles. <laughs> he was also a plantation owner. So just like uh, totally exploiting double, uh. the entire right, but he, but then, but so, and you can kind of see that he was trying to bl- play like both sides, right? Like by like renaming it, you know. But mm-hmm. then, so he then goes in uh, in 1943. There was an ad in Billboard that he put out because he continues to do this for quite some time, even after Ma Rainey got free from it. So we're gonna and we're gonna get into that because it's a good story. Um, but he put an ad in Billboard which said this was the greatest colored show on earth and it was seeking like performers and he was like literally putting out a call being like hey black people come perform in this thing with your people right when in actuality it was like exploiting them the whole time and the connection to billboard is really interesting because they also kind of like fucked mama over so we'll get into it she absolutely claims to have invented literally the blues and there's like articles in like the New York Times and like people at Billboard like confirm this and like affirm this outly and openly and publicly, which typically isn't something that they would do and be like willing to give to a black woman. But it's just like so undoubtable that it happened. And it said that what happened is she was on tour and touring with these sort of like tent shows around the South. And she had heard a woman singing like a really sad song. And it was just like this transition within her like listening to her put her sorrows and what was happening in her life into this like lyrical form and so she pulled she pulled that emotion into what she was doing and how she was performing and it really changed the way that changed the way people would travel for miles and miles and miles to see her like she became famous like infamously famous all across the south and i mean this is like you're traveling in shows you know what i mean they didn't have a damn twitter they ain't let nobody they didn't have pinned location they ain't had it's shit. word of mouth dudes it's they like didn't even have great papers and shit it's word of mouth right yeah yeah amazing absolutely so word gets around and in 1923 she gets discovered by paramount producer jay mayo williams and she is signed to make eight records and this is huge because i'm like hold on i'm like yeah jay mayo thank you for hooking a sister up all right you better go ahead and give her that <laughs> yes okay thank you yes. get her get her it's paramount right and then i was very disappointed because i went and did some a little bit of additional research and i found out that jay mayo nickname inc williams earned his nickname, J. Mayo Inc. Williams, by being able to get talented African-American musicians to sign contracts with Paramount, which he then produced and marketed as race records. It's like, I don't like using the words Uncle Tom. I don't like to perpetuate that racist shit, but I'm just saying if somebody was in the house, it'd be this man because how you gonna do that? How you gonna do that? And, and He was black? He was black. Yes, absolutely. And so he that's what he was known for. He got black musicians. He was like, let's let me tell your story. So again, it's like very complicated because the, he knows that he's selling this to an audience that is not receiving this in like a righteous way or an audience that is being manipulated because a lot of these contracts were bunk. A lot of these contracts didn't give you residuals afterwards. Mm. So right. 
So they made a ton of money off of them, and then the artist didn't make, like, anything. So she made over 100 songs for them in five years, and Paramount pushed the shit out of her. They pushed her hard, and they pushed her all over America, which is what was so iconic about her, and why that even though there were other female singers and there were other people who did iconic things, like record, um, you know, the first recorded record, or, you know, the first woman to record outside of, you know, X, Y, and Z, Ma Rainey was the one that was like a household name for a hot Mm. second. She was known as the songbird of the South. She was known as the Mm. paramount wildcat and most famously mother of the blues. So she was like a badass. She continued. She did records with people like Louis Armstrong. I don't know if you heard of him. Kind of important. (laughs) Louis Armstrong is the best. Yes, yes. So she's up there and she's doing her damn thing. And the thing is, she did it like her way. She brought her stories in. It was her style because she wasn't copying anyone. She invented the damn thing. And people wanted to see this. So she ended up Well, she invented it, but then she also was, like, inspired by that one woman, right? Absolutely. Yes, yes. And so it's interesting because they kind of have, like, a line in the the movie. I'm going to give a little bit of uh, from Black Bottom here. Uh, It's not giving away too much. But basically, they talk about that. They talk about that. And it's so interesting because, and I don't know if this is something that happened in real life, like something she actually admitted, or but Viola Davis, she delivered that shit like it was real. And Because she said, look, they want to call me the the mother of the blues. Look, I don't pay no mind. It's not going to hurt none letting them say that. But in reality, reality blues is a feeling and she just captured the feeling it like pre-existed her she just recognized it within a person and was able to connect with that and put that through her voice and her instrument because that's what it was all about people loved her voice and the way that she delivered her songs with such confidence because still at this time people were telling stories but they were telling stories they're like oh we can be recorded let's you know do these like essentially like bops and she's like, nah, I came home drunk last night, and my, my man yeah. is not acting me right, and I think men are going to poison me. We'll get into some lyrics later. Um, yeah, but you know, when we were did the Lucille Bogan episode that, that you so brilliantly hound, uh, we, that, like, that was one thing we talked about when, we were, when I was like going on and on about the blues, is like how it just hits, like there's something about that emotion and that like real raw, rough emotional state that mm-hmm. just... speaks to people still today and did certainly back then for the first time hearing it. Absolutely. So So I I, I love that. Yes, yes. And that I think that's why I wanted to go into her like this week is because I wanted to understand it more because there's Lucille Bogan and then there's like there's so many women of this time who did the thing in their way and had their thing. But what they exude on those records, that's their real life. Like, that's how they really live. That's how they really felt. And so I think when people, like, don't understand that, they're fascinated by it and they want to go deeper and understand it more. And then when people yeah. do get it, they're like, whoa, somebody's saying it. And somebody's saying it in this, like, vibrational level. And so that's why when she took that and they made that hit everywhere in America, and, like, I'm pretty sure she went, like, like global. I mean, at least she is freaking n- now, which is, yeah. which was, like, another really interesting thing about the, the movie because it's produced by Denzel Washington, who said that before he saw the, 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 the script, he didn't even, he didn't know, he, in the playwright, he didn't know, like, who she was and was like, oh, how do I not know who she was? Like, she is responsible for, like, so much goodness and, you know, such huge things. And the thing is, like, the real Ma, like, she knew that. She absolutely knew that. And she recognized that she had a power and she had stuff to say. So unlike most of the musicians at this time, which is interesting because I didn't realize this, is she wrote 
a lot of her songs. So it's on record that she mm. wrote about a third of her songs. So she gets mm. that, you know, like multi-credit. So it's like when you Hell hear yeah. those words, she really, she wasn't going to say no words that she didn't want to say. Period. Yeah. Which is so empowering, you know, especially as someone like I've definitely done some songs and some records where I'm like, sing, you pay me money, I'll sing, you know, but she was not about that. She's like, no, like, this is my story. I'm going to sing what I want to sing. I'm going to sing how I'm going to sing. And she blew people's minds. By the 1920s, she was recognized as one of the most dynamite performers in the United States of America, she was one of the performers that she, like the United States, like they almost like felt like like one of the firsts, you know? She performed with the Theater Owners Booking Association. And the Theater Owners Booking Association, which was made up of mostly white theater owners, basically got together and they started booking specifically like black performers and black audiences so they would like allow this to happen in their theaters but they would like specifically target it so that it was for black audiences so they would still kind it was still like kind of like some segregated ass bullshit like they would have like white yeah. performers and white audiences and then they would have black performers and black audiences and but they, they wanted that money from that audience exactly yes they did and yeah. they got it and they got it because people like Ma would be on tour and people would know and they would come because they wanted to see it because they understood what that meant. Oh my God, can you imagine being in the audience when she was performing? Can you imagine? It is a tr- nothing short of a, what I could assume to be a completely transformative experience because she's collected <sighs> history and she's delivering it to you via the only thing that she like that you could get from just her, you know? Yeah. And it, it's brilliant. And it, it is fucking brilliant. And she fucking knew it. She was not nice or kind or sweet or putting herself up or being like oh i'm in a white person's theater no she was had her boobs out she had her headdress on she came when she wanted to show up if anyone gave her any (laughs) shit she was like do you know who you're talking to i will leave right now and for a time or you didn't do that Shit. I bet you I bet you people left those concerts and went home and made mad babies. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I bet they were like the revolution is here. Let's do this. I'm ready for it. New, because new. the blues is also just su- like super sexy. Oh yeah. Have you heard it with Lucille Bogan? Yes. Know. We don't yes. need to repeat yes. this audience. No, it is. It's it's super, super sexy. And she doesn't like she doesn't hold that back like when so i also like in preparation for this episode listened to some of her music just had it on you know in the kitchen while i was cooking breakfast and it's because it's like recorded and it's so like old-timey it's so interesting because sometimes they have the songs and then it goes take one and then they have the song and it's like take two because that's how they did it back in the day right it's like no you need to hear both of these these are the only two takes that have ever existed we couldn't mix it but here you go it's so it's like the same song but it's a different story like i want to hear both of them and what she goes into and the growls and how she talks about it so i mean i think this is a beautiful (laughs) time for some uh lyrics prove it on me blues all right so one time she got arrested she got arrested. This is a uh, 1928. So I'm assuming this happened in like nine, maybe the same year. I don't know. But in uh, the 1920s, she gets arrested um, by the New York State Police because she is in an orgy and it's a lesbian orgy. And she's fucking pissed. She's fucking pissed. And she's out there because she used to walk around with her entourage, like dancers and women and men. And she didn't give a damn. And she was holding people by arm. People would look at her. She didn't care. She had a man in one arm, a woman in the other arm. She's walking down the street, whatever. Like, what business do you have, right? She's a fucking superstar. Yes, she's a fucking superstar. (laughs) And so she gets like, 
she gets pulled out and like bailed out the next morning um and it's like this huge scandal and everyone's talking and you know how did she get out and oh my goodness you know is she is she bisexual is she this is she that and at the time um one of she was her mentee at the time she was her mentee and her name is bethy bessie smith and bessie smith is like also one of like the maybe next time we do this I'll do her because she is a blues queen and is known as like the empress of like soul and also a lot of these women were like accused of and participated in um like lesbianism or just free sexuality and it's like not just in the songs that's like the message that I want to like exude which is like it's not this is not a performance this is not a performance this is a lifestyle this is truth spoken over music this is feelings this is like like they live really live like this and like really had to deal with this shit and how did they freaking do it with music i like know that it's not funny at all because it's like but i still can't like help but sometimes laugh at people who are like how dare a woman be sexually interested in anyone that's not a man it's it's absolutely <laughs> like, ridiculous. Throughout history, it's, it's like calm the fuck down. Like yeah, what the, yeah. men the are not that great. The okay, eagle they're of not the patriarchy. Yes, men are not that great. In fact, in in Beauvillei, I don't know what that. I don't know how to say that. I, I butchered that. I'm sorry. Where is it? Beauville, Beauville Blues. No, I heard that oh, one. I listened right. to that one this morning, which is a song that came out in 1923. Ma says, "I don't want no man. I don't want no man to put nothing into my tea. Some of them so evil." I'm afraid they might poison me. She's like, she's traveling around the United States and Paramount is promoting her. And she, and she's saying like, actually like, no, I don't like men. I don't trust them. I think they're going to poison me. And uh, lyrics in response to like her orgy situation was, uh, I went out late last night with a group of my friends. Must have been women because I don't like men. I wore my clothes <laughs> just like a fan. I talk to the girls just like any old man. So she's like, I wear my clothes like a fan. I'm, I'm letting it all hang out. I wear what I want to wear. I'm doing what I want to do. And so I, I just, oh, I'm like so fucking admirable. Like boss, 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 boss. Um, she was very, very flamboyant. And people knew, people knew. And she didn't care. And no one cared because nobody, nobody was going to step to her. No one was going to say the question. No one's going to question it. Yes. Oh, you're questioning. I'm sorry. I have so many questions. I have answers. I'm just like so excited about Ma Rainey. What? So is her husband still performing with her, or has she like at this point like totally eclipsed him and like he's nobody now? Right. Okay. So great question. So these things started popping off for her in like the 20s, right? That was kind of like her time. Um, She she actually divorced Pa Rainey in 1916. She divorced him, <laughs> which was like kind of like a little sad because they actually adopted they adopted a son named Danny who joined the act, um, and they had a little thing going on for a while, a little traveling thing, a little traveling thing with the family. Um, but I think it's because she actually got into this close relationship with Bessie Smith that it was kind of like I'm gonna start to do my own damn thing, like I'm not gonna stick to this sort of life. So when they divorced in 1916, she started her own thing. She started doing her own troupe and was like, I'm not gonna stop, like I'm gonna keep going. I'm just gonna do my side gig. And yeah. that's when she I bet your pa couldn't alone. handle it. I bet your pa was like, I can't handle it. I can't be with a woman more successful than me. I mean, I don't think he did very much after that. So she definitely <laughs> eclipsed him. She definitely, definitely eclipsed him. Well, there's no movie starring Chadwick Boseman called Pa Rainey. That's true. <laughs> that is very, so. very true. <laughs> so, unfortunately, um, her run did not last forever, ever. 
And in 1928, Paramount gave her 20 more songs, and they then terminated her contract, saying that her style of blues was no longer considered fashionable by the label. What the fuck? Dickwads, right? It's not true, but whatever. Right, and also like, okay, yeah, I just spread this all around the world for you, and now you're done with me? Okay, fuck off. So it said, like, I think there's, like, very polite articles, and, like, there's no, like, definitive evidence, but basically from the sources I've gathered is she didn't get no damn residuals. They're like, if anyone were to get anything, it might be Ma, because she was very aggressive, and she was like, I want cash, you're gonna pay me up front, I'm only signing this if I want to sign this. I'm not saying those words, you know? But still, like, she had to play the game and, like, understood, like, her role in it. And so it's, like, people speculate that she didn't get the, like, even though she was fucking famous, she was not getting the kickbacks that she deserved for what she did, the roads that she paved, and, like, literally the plays of her music. Because at this time, she wasn't recorded. Like, she was one of the first people recorded. So this set the precedent. It's, like, set the tone. It's, like, when she signed that shit, I mean, no one was looking out for her and making sure she was good. It was just, like, you have permission to do, do we have permission to do this, yes or no? And they fucking made bank they built a whole like they're still making music now they're still doing this and to how can you today. like and, and how can you like even track your own residuals when like you can't even like how could she know that they were releasing the record in so many places mm-hmm. like right you cut you like you kind of couldn't. i had heard that before though like I, I had heard that about specifically black musicians in that time period how they like always only took cash mm-hmm. like at every venue you had to pay them in cash because yeah. Because they wouldn't accept anything else because they knew people would always be trying to fuck them over. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, when you know that, like, that's crazy shit. Like, the power dynamic there is really fucked. Because it's like, because if we leave, you white person are screwed. And you're not going to make the ten times the money that we're going to make. But we need to make the one-tenth and you need to make the nine-tenths so let's cut the shit and do the damn thing you know so it's yeah yeah, it's such a it's such an interesting thing and i i i would be so incredibly curious to know like what someone like ma like nowadays would be like act like think like because the real ma rainey was she was illiterate so she Mm, didn't even know what she was signing like when she when they she knew that they had the power to take everything away from her and she knew like they're not going to cut me a fair deal like i have to sign my my contract to be recorded like this is one of the first times ever because she kept threatening to be like i'll just go back down to the south and i'll tour again i don't fucking need you hoes i don't need you and they fought all the way and they they fucking juiced out every little bit of her music that they could until (sighs) they got like a more polished version of her because her mentee Bessie eventually like became a bigger star and it was upsetting to her Mm. because she was like she was less gritty she was presumably like more like straight she had her hair done together she was what America wanted to advertise she was like the Martin Luther King she was like white America yeah exactly exactly because clearly clearly black America wanted Ma Ma. because she lasted as long as she did Mm mm-hmm so, so what happened after her contract got severed? What happened to her after that? Right. So after 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 that happened and she released the record, she was still able to perform and do certain bookings. And she even <laughs> she even got a tour bus with her name on it. Like she did the damn thing. She was doing the damn thing back in a day. Um, but it's it dwindled down, and she was very like she was gonna sing the way that she wanted to sing. She thought that she was here to deliver a particular message and to 
to to do it her way and that's what she did and it worked for so long and after a while it just wasn't hitting the same so rather than mm. change and adjust and try to fit in with the time she was just like fuck it like I did my thing I, I did what I had to do like people are done cool so in 19 she retired yeah, in Sorry. 1935. In 1935, she retired and she returned back to Columbus, Georgia, the place where she did her very first talent show. And mm. she ran three theaters there until she died of a heart attack in 1939. Dang. Well, it's not the most horrible broads story ending that we've heard. Right. No, yeah. She 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 definitely lived her life. And what is exuded like you can tell like you listening through the music, she chose to just do the damn thing all the way up through the end. Yeah, she didn't get like murdered, like no one like took her out or or you know, it wasn't like a horrible like and she did she was doing shit that she she loved and she lived in her truth and she was never apologetic about it. Oh my god, I love her. I love I love her so much. She's so freaking influential. Angela Davis has a quote from one of her books, Blues, Legacies, and Black Feminism, where she says, the songs in which women explicitly celebrate their right to conduct themselves as expansively and even as undesirably as men is deeply connected with Ma Rainey because she was that. She was like, I am going to be who I am mm. as boisterous, as sloppy as you. You're a disgusting man and I'm gonna level with you. Now give me my shit or I'm leaving. And I think the world could use some more of that. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, okay, I mess with it. Like she was want she was authentic. She was like, this mm. is what the world did to me. Do you want to talk about why? I didn't fucking think so. Give me money for my voice. And I'm like totally putting that in my little backpack of tools because I definitely think she's a broad you should know. And I think people should absolutely watch the Hell movie. Oh, yeah, she is. 100%. Yes. Watch the movie? Okay, I'll watch it. I'll okay, watch yeah. it. Yes. I'll watch it. Good. Chloe, should we, Chloe, maybe we should like put a video on and watch it like at the same time. Like maybe like we a, should Skype while can, we watch it. You can, if we, in case we get emotional about Chadwick. You can right. share. You can do, can't you like do the Netflix thing? You know, the, you watch oh, movies share. with your friends. Yeah, there's something like that. Yeah, be hip, there guys. Is? Be hip. Come on. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know there viewing, you could do that. Viewing Technology. parties or something. I think yeah. it's called viewing parties. Y'all should get on it. I'll I'll watch it again. Yeah. I'll be down. We'll do a we'll do a, a little little three way viewing party. Cool. I'm down. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This has been Broads. You should know. Thanks for bringing us all that research. Oh yeah, I went Hell in. Yeah. It was so fun. I'm excited. I'm excited. I. I mean, I, I got an arsenal now. <laughs> I got a list because these blue, these ladies, these broads, ooh, damn, they did things some music. Ooh, we owed them so many accolades. I love it. Well, don't forget to visit our website, broadsyoushouldknow.com. Don't forget to hit us up on Instagram, at broadsyoushouldknow, and on Facebook, broadsyoushouldknow. You can suggest a broad. You can email us. All that info is on the website, so go check it out. Check out all the other broads you haven't listened to yet, including Lucille Bogan, who is connected to, but not the same as Ma Rainey. And uh, we're going to see you next week for another broad you should know.